0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the NOLCast. Bud, we will circle back to the remaining half of the mailbag that we uh, tried to touch on, get through in our previous show, then also have a uh, couple pieces of uh, more current news and then want to uh, touch on a topic that I know that you've written about and uh, something that we've kind of discussed from time to time as far as uh, just the overall state of Florida recruiting, uh, where kids are going, who's having success, who's taking advantage of kind of windows of opportunity and who might be letting things uh slide by so excited as always to do a cast. want to start this by thinking our title sponsor louisiana hot sauce three simple ingredients one fantastic product sponsor with us we going on four years now and uh people that we've been exceptionally fortunate to be able to work with and a great product that bud and i are very lucky to be able to uh to authentically sing its praises so uh with that bud let's uh, jump straight into this Let's do it, man. Uh, so had a really good day on social media yesterday. I had two posts go
1: uh, kind of viral, or tweets, posts. Gosh, what am I saying? Tweets. First one was uh, how old current recruits were when your team last won a national title. Uh, and the second one was, uh, I basically, uh, because of some stuff going on, uh, I'm not going to be able to post this article when I want to. So I just went ahead and basically tweeted it. And that is my Sunshine State scorecard that I do every year, uh, which basically tracks where the elite prospects in the state of Florida are going. And I do not include out-of-state IMG kids, so kids who have transferred in from out-of-state very recently to IMG or like an Aquinas or something. And the reason I exclude those is something because with this measure, with, with my Sunshine State scorecard, I am trying to drill down and figure out exactly where the like true florida kids are going right how well are the big three doing of keeping the florida recruits in florida and this year um, a disturbing trend is continuing from last year last year i wrote about it you can google it and i also linked it on my twitter Uh, this year ingram six of the best 10 kids who are committed in the state right now are actually committed to out-of-state schools we briefly touched on this in the last show with uh, jalen carter and uh, Tyu Jones-Bell leaving, which was actually the impetus uh, for me firing this up uh, right now. So uh, Clemson actually has the top two players in the state of Florida committed, which is not great if you are a, a Gator, a Knoll, or a Kane, quite obviously. And that's uh, that. That's probably a bad thing because it looks like uh, that will that is a trend that's going to continue a lot this year. It's not entirely surprising to me that Florida State is, is not cleaning up in-state. They just went five and seven. Um, they seem to have sort of missed their window to hit it big with Willie Taggart on the recruiting trail. You know, I'm very much big into the idea of you have to hit your first two classes out of the park uh, in order to to really win big somewhere. And obviously Willie's first full class, uh, which was the most recent one, their their struggles have been well-documented by us and, and by everyone else and how they were unrealistic. Uh, and late to pivot uh, to other targets after they had a 5-7 and season or after they should have realized they were going to have that season like when you get your uh, doors blown off by Syracuse. Uh, But anyway, uh, Florida State is actually uh, doing a little bit better job than Florida in the state right now. They have uh, seven four- and five-star commits from Florida. Florida has uh, five. Now, I think Florida will make a run, and and Florida – there's a good chance they'll have a better class than Florida State uh, at, at season's end. In fact, they they might have a higher rated one right now. Although I don't really care about rankings team wise this early in the cycle. Uh, Miami actually has the most right now with uh, they have eight. So Florida State has seven. Miami has eight. Florida has five. Uh, but if if you look at the real kind of super elite class in here, there's I mean six of the top ten as I said who are committed are, are already going out of state. There's a lot of, a lot of more out-of-state projections coming for these guys. And so that's that's going to be interesting to watch. But the, the main takeaway I have from this is, man, like Clemson is just burying Florida State and Miami for that matter. And Georgia is just lapping Florida or, or over a multi-year window. It's going to take a while for these programs to dig out of this in terms of being competitive against their their respective rivals, not not Florida, Florida State, not Florida State, Miami, intrastate rivals, but uh, they're kind of big out-of-state rivals. That's that's a pretty good gap going right there. So that's just kind of the update on that. Um, don't have a
0: whole lot more to add uh, to that one. You got anything on that? So Clemson being involved in the state of Florida is not anything new. Uh, they've certainly done a good job on it, and if you think back, uh, have always had a presence uh, in the state of Florida, as almost any uh, big-time college football program has, has had to have. Uh, but it's it's like they already had a whole lot of traction in the state, and then they started to become one of the more preeminent programs uh, in the country, and they've only uh, continued to do uh, a better job of, of cultivating the in-state talent uh, of, of Florida and convincing them to play their ball in uh, upstate South Carolina. So... I am interested in getting your opinion a little bit more out of just the numbers alone, and that is uh everybody talks about you know staying at home and uh and state pride and stuff like that and and not to say that that doesn't exist uh with Florida kids but and there seems to become like uh, fads moments in time where that's real popular almost anywhere uh certainly the state of georgia has had to deal with uh with kids leaving um and that you're able to periodically go into states like louisiana for florida state for a long period of time and have success and then once those doors close it seems to be real hard to reestablish a footing i guess a long-winded way of asking you why do you seem why do you think that maybe florida kids or I don't want to say more likely uh, to leave state, but seem to be a little bit more open to, uh, to receiving a, a sales pitch that involves them traveling further away than, than maybe uh, kids out of the other parts of the deep South right now. You're, you're exactly
1: right on this, right? Like the, there's not a lot of state pride from Florida kids. You, know, you, you don't, we, we hear, you know, boys from the boot, right? Which, which is what the Mississippi guy, or excuse me, the Louisiana guys call themselves. And, and, and you hear, you know, sip boys, which is you know, kind of one of the hashtags they use on Twitter for the Mississippi kids. And the state pride uh, for Florida is about zero compared to the kids from the, the states in, in the real deep South. South Carolina has some, I would say it's not quite as big as like Bama, Mississippi, Louisiana. Georgia kids seem to have it now. There's definitely a, uh, a correlation to state pride, staying home and winning. I'm not going to be, be blind to that, right? Like a, a lot of those schools uh, win a whole lot, but there is definitely a factor there. And I, I will say Florida kids don't prop each other up either. Just from my experience at camps and whatnot compared to other other states, right? There's not a lot of rooting for for each other at, at, at these camps. It's very cutthroat. It's very me, 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 go get paid, get mine. Which is probably the right attitude to have, to be honest, because this is, you got to stay individually focused in a sport that um, demands a a lot of self sacrifice. And um, if you don't look out for yourself, nobody will. So I I, I get it. But from a recruiting perspective, that does make it a little bit tougher uh, for some of the schools. And yet, there's also a winning component to this. If you win a lot, the state pride to stay home also matters. Um, But yeah, I think there is something to the idea that that kids in Florida, maybe it's, it's Florida is more of a a transplant transient state in terms of its population than other other
0: places are. But it's exactly, the, very similar, man. Yeah, like exactly a lot where of, I was going. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, a lot of times you can you can come into the city of Atlanta and have a lot of success because uh, the living room that you're sitting in is not two people that are born uh, necessarily in the state of Georgia. It's a people that have relocated here, Atlanta in the 1960s was a small little southern town and in the last uh, 60 years has grown immensely uh and my point to that is is that it's grown immensely uh by bringing a lot of people in throughout the country uh and having them relocate and and uh have that be where they they kind of start again and i guess to an extent that's kind of the kind of the case for the state of florida as well that it's a lot of transient population it's a lot of relocated people and it's maybe not a population that has as deep as roots uh, as it does other places in the South. Totally agree.
1: So uh, next big thing I tweeted, and this one really went viral. I mean, I'm not trying to brag on this. I just It's interesting to see what people like. This is how old current recruits were when your team last won a national championship. Um, so they were 16 when Bama last won one, nine for Auburn, 17 for Clemson, obviously, just last year. I'm assuming a birth date here, by the way, of December 1st. 2001, I think that's, uh, that's probably a pretty fair average birthday considering how many 19-year-olds we have anyway um, and that you know, a lot of your better recruits are, are older kids. Uh, seven for Florida, 12 when Florida State won. Uh, six when LSU won. Six weeks when, my, when Miami won. Uh, I, that was an interesting one for me because I, I was like, well, damn, Miami didn't actually win the title until like the first week in january of 2002 so that's something to watch there so if you give them the december 1st 2001 birthday they were six weeks old roughly when uh, when miami took home that title probably don't have a great memory of that i would guess uh, ohio state 13 texas 4 usc 3. so some schools uh not listed tennessee not on this list uh, oklahoma not on this list Barely, but not on this list. Uh, Michigan, negative four years old. Negative four. Uh, Nebraska, negative four. And anybody else is real negative. The kind of big ones that people are asking for. uh, Georgia, you're like negative 21, so your parents might not have been able to drink. Although it's Georgia, so they're probably drinking anyway. Penn State, I think you're negative 15 or 16. And Notre Dame uh, was 88, so like negative 15 or 14 or something like that. Anyway, it does, uh, does kind of illustrate uh, tradition matters, but but what a school's tradition is is very different in your and I and most listeners' podcast mind compared to what recruits know. And national championships are not the only thing. If you did this with uh, you know, teams who have made the playoff, that could also look pretty different, or, or, or teams who have had uh, X number of draft picks or – Whatever. Uh, but this is just kind of a, a, a fun little infographic thing I made. Um, or I, I just wrote it out and make an infographic, but some people did make a graphic with it. Um, it's interesting. I, by the way, did you know this? We are currently in the longest since a big three team won a national title for the first time, which was 1984
0: with Miami. We are in the longest drought without a state of Florida title ever. I did not know that. I guess it does make sense when you think about it. Very much tied to the previous conversation we had uh, as well.
1: Yeah. So, like, we are – there's a chance we could double that record, actually, because the previous high was, was four years. Now we've gone five. If they don't want to – if somebody in the state doesn't want a title in the next three years, which it's very hard for me to project Florida State to do that or Florida to do that or Miami to do that, you're going to see a – um, literally a, a record by, by an order of magnitude over the previous record of, of nobody in the state of Florida winning the title. And I, I do think that you're right. That is very tied to not keeping kids in
0: state. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, there's all Florida's always been a, a transient state and it's always grown, uh, you know, gangbusters really since the invention or proliferation of air conditioning, really. But uh you know, there certainly was a period of time where there seemed to be some in-state pride and, you know, kids talked about being from the bottom or wherever else. Uh, it's just wild to think that we're sitting here talking about uh, a four-year window to which no one's won a title or a five-year window and that there is no real light at the end of the tunnel for any of those teams. Now, if things change quickly in college football and uh, if it would have been the end of 2011, would have been real hard to look at Florida State and say that a uh, a title uh, was coming in the next 16 months, particularly if it wasn't with that 2012 team. So um, it's not as though these things are evident, but uh, it doesn't appear as though a landscape of which uh, this state's going to produce a real um, legitimate national title contender anytime soon. And that will be, like you said, that'll be new ground uh, for any of these teams to cover uh, or sell. And it's just such a different uh, situation than, kind of win the, the just the anecdotally the experience that we went through you and i when we were growing up uh younger kids when you have like florida and florida state deciding pretty much every every pretty much every november uh one of those teams was going to go to the national championship uh one of them was you know playing for conference championships and uh where the state of florida very much kind of ruled the uh the college football world and it's a very uh very interesting moment in time here we are with uh all three programs kinda having a hard time finding their footing and gonna have to deal with a landscape that's really changed and a, they're gonna have to sell to a population that hasn't seen nearly the uh consistent success that uh that their kind of cousins and fathers and uh and uncles saw when they were uh of the age and, and making similar decisions as to where to go to school.
1: I, I think particularly interesting here is is the Florida deal, right? Tebow for them is iconic, but a, a large number of those players on, on those national championship teams didn't end up with great NFL careers. So you're in a period now where with Florida, the, these kids were seven when UF last won a national title and, and their, their fall off was, was fairly precipitous, right? They won in 9 They did make it to the SEC title game in 10. That, that's the game where, where, where Tebow cried. And after that, man, like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I mean, they were they were pretty low. Now, they did have a really good year last year. Um, and they, they could have one this year. Their schedule is fairly friendly uh, by SEC standards. But – I think when you combine it with the fact that these kids were seven when Florida last won a title. And you know, like Aaron Hernandez is, is is gone forever. Percy Harvin had a good NFL career, but not like an amazing one. He's he's not doing anything anymore. They they don't really have like the Transcendent like ta- generational yeah, talent. And, and like in the, the long term like 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 who is the Jalen Ramsey from that 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 title team for Florida who's still like in the league, yeah. right? Uh, really, it's a, a collection offensive alignment. I mean, that, that's who you have to point to. Uh, the pouncies, yeah, right. Um, so, anyway, that that's just it, it's something to think about. Miami, obviously. I I was going to actually ask some some state of Florida kids for an article idea, potentially, and say, how many players can you name off the school to whom you're committed slash national title team? Because I, I I think if you're you know. Like these kids say, tradition, and oh, you know, Miami has five rings, or or you know, blah blah blah, or they'll, they'll say it about Fort State. But like, I bet you the average you commit can name four dudes off the title team: Jameis, Kelvin Benjamin, and who else? Probably Telvin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they would get Jalen. They would Jalen, Jamus, Telvin, and then probably one guy who
0: plays their position. I would say uh, probably Kelvin, maybe maybe Lamarcus Joiner if they if they watch any any Sunday ball. They're a DB. I, I think
1: there's a better chance because you're, you're going to get Jalen, but you're also probably going to get Darby because um, he's a good player. And I know they use him to promote some of their stuff. Running back wise, Devontae Freeman.
0: Yeah, yeah, Freeman, particularly with the contract that he got, may have a may have a little bit more more play with today's generation than I originally gave him credit for. That's that's probably a pretty good realistic name out there. I mean, with Miami,
1: it's probably two dudes, right? Mike Rump, because he's a coach, and Sean Taylor. May, like They might get Clinton Portis,
0: but I don't know, man. Maybe. Maybe. I, I doubt it. I think it's probably just Sean Taylor if, if, if anybody. But you're right. Uh, Rump's there and Certainly a last name that if you have any experience with South Florida football, you you may, uh, may be able to draw on. All right, y'all want to draw your attention real quickly to uh, a website that we have mentioned previously. That is tailgate.com Again, Uh We'll be partnering with our uh, longtime friends and uh, and sponsors for the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, Madison Socials leading the charge here. Uh, but a fantastic uh, tailgate option for the uh, Boise State game in Jacksonville there. Uh, To kick off the season So uh, option number two Is uh, a tailgate uh, Entrance, uh, air conditioned tailgate uh, Entrance for $20 And the second option that they're offering Is uh, entrance to the tailgate Two drinks and one plate of food Uh, So uh, like we mentioned in previous podcasts, this is a, a partner of ours that we're exceptionally able, exceptionally fortunate to be able to work with, uh, take a awful lot of pride and professionalism in anything that they do, uh, and you just know that this is going to be a, uh, a great spot to spend uh, prior to the Boise State game. Uh, Bud and I will be on site looking forward to having the ability to interact with as uh, many of as you, the listener, as possible, and again, just want to uh, draw your attention to FSU Jacks tailgate.com, and uh, hope to see as many of you out there at the, uh, at the end of August as possible. I do want to, want to kind of pivot here slightly, and, and the, I don't want this conversation to come off as negative,
1: right? It's just factual. I, I, I have some praise for the staff where I had some criticism last year, and, and I think I've been fair in this criticism in, in that I had no problem with them targeting elite-level kids last year simply because they were actually in it for them for a long time. They had done a tremendous job of establishing relationships, and I do think this staff uh, is a really good recruiting staff. A lot of the stuff they had to deal with was largely out of their hands. One area of criticism that I had for them last year is that after they got whipped by Syracuse, they should have cut bait with a lot of their elite-level out-of-state targets. A lot of these guys have been doing this a long time. They should have known, and, and this is hard It's hard to, to, to Start ignoring texts from from a player like uh, the DN who went to Oregon. What's his name? Uh, the five. Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Like I know he was still texting them, even even when they when they were you know getting their butts beat every week. It's hard to cut ties with that, but because there's no prize for second place in recruiting, right? It, it's it's an all or nothing game with respect to each individual kid in my opinion, and we said this at the time, they should have cut ties, and they didn't, and they ended up getting burned, and they finished with like a, a recruiting class outside the top 15. This year, they are doing a better job of targeting kids who they can actually get. They have identified some kids who have seen their rankings increase. Jalen Harrell's ranking has actually gone up a good bit since he committed after, a, uh, I, I guess, a good offseason and probably some greater review of his film. We were pretty high on him When they got him, and I actually think we talked about him maybe in our one of our January episodes when I went down to Miami for the uh, South Ford Express tryout, you know, they're doing a better job of getting on kids who they can actually sign and, and try to hit that sweet spot as opposed to trying for these plan A's, which they won't get after going five and seven and then missing and then having to settle for plan C, plan D. They've got a lot of kids right now who are probably plan B's for other schools who, if those schools miss on their plan A's, would be like, damn, now we need to try to flip this kid, but he's been with Florida State for six months. I'm not buying into the idea that a, a winning season is going to give them a ton of momentum on a recruiting trail for one reason. Number one, I I don't think like a reasonable season for them is going to be that exciting to recruits. And by reasonable season, I have them... Anywhere between six wins to nine wins in the regular season, I, I think, is fairly realistic. You know, I think 10 and 2 is kind of crazy. And I think five, you know, 5 and 7 is kind of crazy. But anywhere in that range, and that's such a big range because they have so many toss up games. But none of those ranges are really that exciting to recruits, you know, not when other programs are out there winning 10, 11, 12 ballgames. That combined with how early the early signing period is, it, it's, it's not like they're going to have that much time between the end of the season. And the early signing period to sell. Hey, we just made eight wins. If you know, like with the bowl game, we could get to nine wins potentially. Well, a, the kid's going to sign before the bowl game, and b, like there's just not that much time. They can sell positive momentum. They can sell a number of other things, and they can sell relationships. But I, I do think this staff deserves credit for better precision targeting now than they had last season during the season. Right? like I, I don't have any problem with what they who they targeted last offseason because they really did a good job making those relationships, and they were legitimately in it for a number of elite prospects. They just you know had their whole offensive line fall apart and couldn't block anybody and ended up 124th in the nation in efficiency, which is going to hurt your feelings a little bit. But, I, yeah, I think they deserve some credit for this. They, they have the number seven class in the country right now. If I set the over-under – of where they'll finish at number seven, I would I would definitely take the over, meaning outside the top seven. I, I think their class is going to uh, drop in the rankings as other schools add more commitments, like an Ohio State who only has eight commits right now compared to Florida State with 12. But I, I think they're doing a pretty good job considering the circumstances.
0: Let me uh, ask you a question, something that's been in the back of my mind for a little bit here. And, uh I don't want to make too big of a deal of this. Um, And certainly coaches are confident in what they can do and were confident before this kid committed. But do you think almost in a a way that the way that uh, that Wood Bay's commitment or recruitment went down and ultimate commitment uh, might have almost given the the coaching staff like a false sense of what was possible out there or uh, the idea that they would be able to – to sell big big time out of state players, uh, the idea of playing at Florida State more that maybe maybe with the success they had with would be they were able to extrapolate that to other situations that were just a, a very uh, different pursuit of a kid.
1: So I think you bring up a great point, and I think what you're hitting on is, is confirmation bias, right? This staff came in thinking, hey, this you know the Florida State name combined with with our Connections in the state is going to sell really well. It's something I bought into, and I would buy into it again, one hundred percent. If we came clean slate again, I would I would tell you the exact same thing. Now, Wood Bay jumping on as he did probably did help with their confirmation bias, right? And and probably increased it some, made them a little bit even greater belief in what they could do. However, I hesitate somewhat to go all out on that simply because. And they also flipped Harrison, Trayshawn, by the way. But I, I hesitate somewhat because uh, it wasn't as if they thought, hey, we can make up a bunch of ground for these other elite kids. The, these kids were actually giving them real feedback that was very strong. I've seen some of this feedback. And the coaches weren't BSing, right? Like they, the, the kids were really into it. They just fell apart during the season. And that was largely not their fault. I don't fault them a whole lot for what happened last season. I I do fault them for not pivoting and and kind of seeing the bigger picture and saying, hey, like we're not gonna get these kids. Not not enough of them. Not not when we go five and seven, not when we could potentially miss a bowl. And I know they were playing to make a bowl and you came within a game of it, obviously. But yeah, I, I think that they were they were very confident, but I don't know that it was unjustified confidence during last summer. I think it was pretty justified given their track record of recruiting elsewhere their upgrade in terms of school and then the feedback they were getting from the kids now they were overconfident during the season once they started getting their butts beat that's that's where i really draw the line on that. that that that's when they they were god like six seven weeks too late to pivot in my opinion on some of this stuff and we said so at the time by the way uh, george pickens qualified for georgia so if your favorite media were telling you that Florida State backed off because he wasn't going to qualify, and we told
0: you no, they're just they, they're not going to get the kid. Um, yeah. Well, Georgia needed some good recruiting news. They've been been struggling to find positivity recently, so uh, good for them. <laughs> By the way, uh, I, I, I do want to send my my thoughts and
1: prayers to the family of uh, Josh Ankrum. He's a 2020 kid uh, was shot yesterday and killed down in Miami. Um, I didn't know Josh real well. Uh, you know, I had spoken to him a couple times, like joke around with him at, at South Florida Express events and seven ons. And uh, he was a kid I thought was going to have a pretty good senior year. Uh, you know, didn't play a whole lot of games as a junior, but he was, you know, he was having a good good off season. That that just sucks. So, uh, R.I.P. Josh, and uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers from the old cast to his family. And uh, uh, they actually have a GoFundMe. If you want, uh, I, I retweeted the link last night. You can help them with some funeral expenses. So. Wasn't really, wasn't really uh, sure where to bring that up, but because we mentioned the, uh, the South Florida Express uh, just a minute ago, when talking about Jalen Harrell, I'm gonna bring it up now. RIP. I guess we need to pivot uh, a little bit. One kid committing we didn't talk about committing last week or last show rather was Joquavius Marks, the running back out of Atlanta. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that Florida State did not push for his commitment, and this kind of relates to the targeting discussion that we had. A little bit in that the one position where they do seem to have a, a pretty good board of targets and, and can afford to be a little bit more selective is at running back they still have Jalen Knighton on the board they still have Keziah Holmes they still have uh, Lawrence Philly and they still have a, a couple other kids actually so I don't know that that uh, Jaquavius Marks was actually that high on their recruiting board personally for me I would have the three kids i just mentioned over him not that he's not a good player i think he is but he's not a kid who i would necessarily need to accept a commitment from if i ran florida states recruiting at this point in the cycle so that is a good example of sort of the targeting thing there are other positions where you need to get a lot of bodies and you don't have a lot of you know ways to sell kids and not a lot of recent success with their positions who you can't be quite as picky so a uh, new offer went out to uh, uh, Jerzon Newton, kid out of, out of Clearwater Central Catholic. Pretty disruptive player, has picked up a lot of good offers this spring, including Iowa, West Virginia, Georgia Tech, Miami, uh, I think Kansas State, some others. I don't know that he can be a 300-pounder. Maybe he can eventually, but if Florida State's going to run more of this 3-4 look, he really could fit in as kind of like like a 5-tech uh, five Tech DN in kind of that two hundred eighty five pound range, perhaps after a year on campus. So an interesting offer
0: there, and, and a, a very athletic kid for his size. So yeah, Car- carries the ball a little bit in their offense. Uh, he does at times. He's a he's real athletic, a uh, little bit undersized uh, interior lineman, but uh, interesting prospect and has a has an interesting upside to him.
1: Hey, y'all want to tell you about the best place to get a home loan. That's Resolution Home Loans, a longtime sponsor of the Noelcast. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or you visit FSUHOMELOANS.COM, you're going to get hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the best mortgage guy in the business. Shannon will walk you through the process, whether you're a first-time home buyer, or maybe you're going to upgrade a little bit, get, get something a little bit nicer, maybe something a little bigger, maybe put in the pool. Whatever you want to do, Shannon can help you reach your home ownership goals um, get you a good competitive rate. Take through the process step by step. And they want to get it done fast. With our Almost Home program, it's going to happen for you fast. Give them a call 844-FSU-LOAN or com. You want to get the listener questions here? Yeah, man. We'll jump right into it. Uh, I didn't first... think our new business would take this long. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think it's been a good discussion.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Hopefully, hopefully people have... Uh... We'll enjoy the discussion that we had at state of Florida that wasn't necessarily exactly as we, uh, not that we draw up the show perfectly, but that was probably a little bit longer than we would have uh, would have accounted for as far as the time spent. But uh, to get to the questions, Russell asks, uh, well, he starts off by complimenting the show. Appreciate that, Russell. And says, I understand there's been some attrition and the old staff, missed with a lot of offensive line recruits. However... Why has it been so difficult to bring in competent offensive tackle recruits? The linebackers have turned their room around rather quickly. The development for the linemen is different. But I still don't see elite tackles coming, even with the ability to offer immediate playing time. Okay. Well, basically, those
1: are some of the most premium players out there. And uh, if you are a real premium player, bottom line is you have better options in Florida State right now. If I'm an opposing coach, I'm telling a kid, hey, you think Willie Taggart's really gonna be there throughout your entire career? You think they got a new AD coming in once the president's out? You think that guy's gonna keep Willie Taggart his job? The, the new AD's job depends on the football coach doing a good job. You think he's gonna he's gonna hitch hitch his horse to that wagon? You got better options here. In addition, Florida State hasn't produced a decent offensive tackle for the league in about a decade. They look terrible. They don't do a good job developing them, developing them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why, basically. It, it's just, it's real easy to recruit against Florida State there. They do have playing time to sell, but that's about it um, as far as position specific stuff. I mean, in addition to the regular stuff that they sell. Also, a lot of times, offensive tackles tend to be pretty good academic kids for whatever reason. And Florida State's academics are uh, pretty terrible compared to a lot of the schools they recruit against for those elite kids, right? Like, they're not going to beat out a Stanford or Texas, or Notre Dame, or a Penn State, or an Ohio State. Florida is generally considered a better academic school in terms of of recruiting-wise. At least that's the feedback I get from coaches and parents and kids and all that. So that's kind of a reason. They're going to have to hope that a couple of these projects turn into good players. I hope that's not too negative, but that's just kind of the reality of it. They're not going to get elite offensive tackles. They might get one. I I won't sit here and say they won't get any. But they're not going to pull in a bunch of elite offensive tackle
0: recruits. So really, uh, it's tough. I mean, to sign offensive tackles or defensive tackles, uh, you you got to kind of have everybody in the program uh, singing from the same song sheet and having everything working in, uh, in concert. Florida State has the ability to sign those kids, uh, but maybe not with ease, as ease as other programs do. And... Um, ironically that we would we would sit and talk about the state of Florida for 15 minutes beforehand it's not a position that the state of Florida produces with any kind of routine uh, more times than not you got to go out of state sometimes you got to go as far as to the uh, um, you know the northeast or, or traditionally the midwest to get some of these kids and right now you just don't have a program that sells uh, itself to the extent to go to uh, Illinois or uh, the, Wisconsin or anywhere else and Uh, convince a kid not to play for Ohio State, Notre Dame, or uh, some other either closer program to them in proximity or a program that has, uh, quite frankly, a a lot more cachet than Florida State does. Yep, I I agree with that. Okay, John asks, I would be interested in listening to the two
1: of you discuss our offensive line recruit prospects. Hey, a lot of offensive line uh, questions today. Recruit slash prospects both 2018 and 2019 and compare their, their high school rankings with the high school rankings of our existing offensive linemen. Please include recent transfers also. Well, there's only been one, so that won't be that hard to do. It seems to me I, I keep seeing recruiting talk about offensive linemen being sought after by FSU, but their rankings seem to be far outside the rankings of players from the past. In addition, most of the discussions regarding recruits slash prospects include comments that it will take a couple of years before the recruit slash will be able to contribute. Our existing offensive line has been so bad for the past few years, how is it possible that recruits slash prospects we are so high on are not skillful enough to contribute until a couple of years of growth and improvement. If that is the case, the existing offensive linemen, the, the same ones that have shown they can't play at a high level, will be our starters for the next two or more years. John, you nailed it. I think this is kind of those questions where a, a, a listener wants us to tell him something different, but he's done his research, and he just he didn't want his research to be right, but he is right. Here's the deal. Florida State is not in it for many premium elite level prospects this year. They're doing a good job of getting a lot of the good guys. They just went five and seven. They have a coaching staff that is being routinely negatively recruited, not without some justification, by the way, that they won't be there by by the time that these recruits actually get their career going at a school. So they do have to take guys who, who are projects. Okay, so he wants us to do a comparison. I should have done a little more legwork on this uh, one right here, but I'm pretty sure I can do this uh, quickly. He wants to do a comparison of what we have as far as uh, what we've looked at. The kids on the roster right now, uh, Juwan Williams was a uh, four-star player coming out of high school, obviously has major concerns about his mental ability to grasp the game and stay focused and not lose his composure during games. Also had two big-time injuries, thus hasn't lived up anywhere near to his potential. Uh, Christian Meadows out of Macon County is a guy who has battled some injury, but I, I think still has uh, still has some good potential. I'm just going over the, the kind of four-stars prior. Baby on, didn't really click with the old staff. Didn't always have the right amount of dedication, I guess, and you know staying in shape, et cetera. Also had, I think, an ACL, right, early in his career here. Dickerson, as we know, has, has been hurt a ton. Abdul Bello has been hurt a ton. A lot of this was covered three episodes ago when we discussed this. And uh, I would encourage John and anybody else to go back and listen. But they they have had just a really bad clustering of injuries at offensive line and linebacker. I I don't think Florida State's injury rate as a team has been abnormally high, but they just had two really, really bad injury rate kind of clusters at those two positions. Yeah, most offensive linemen prospects, other than the super elite ones, do take several years to develop. I expect this year's offensive line to be bad. I can't be any more clear about this. I think next year's offensive line could maybe be below average or average. I don't think Florida State will have an actually good offensive line until 2021 at the earliest. That's if this stuff works out, y'all. This is a probably a four-year rebuild on the offensive line, period. <laughs> I, I, I can't be any clearer about this. They, the, the players they have right now who aren't any good are likely to play a lot for them in the next two years. Yes, that, that's, that's true. That's kind of about as uh, – about as straight up as I can be
0: on that. I don't
1: know, maybe, maybe they could get to maybe they could get to above average by next year
0: if some guys work out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be by next year a lot. maybe twenty twenty, not not twenty nineteen. Right. Yeah, not uh, upcoming year. It's something that we'll uh, certainly monitor and let's put it this way: not a not a whole lot of direction for them to go in. Uh, so any kind of improvement will be noted, appreciated, and uh, and discussed in this forum. Uh, Daryl asks, uh, Daryl states that he is Daryl, in fact, uh, FSU fan and alum. Wanted to know about offensive line recruiting targets, specifically tackles we are in on, uh, as well as <laughs> defensive end or outside linebacker, push, uh, pass rushing recruiting targets. Uh, so, Bud. We've spent a decent amount of time talking about the offensive line, but uh, who are their main targets right now, and uh, who are the who are the kids that they might be practicing against uh, at the end of the line of scrimmage uh, when it comes to the other side of the ball? Sure. So let's let's just stick with the offensive tackle thing, and
1: we'll, we'll get into more of the D line next time. But so at offensive tackle, they, they do have some guys who they are uh, legitimately in on. Jalen Rivers, I, I I don't think they've done enough there uh, on him, so he's still a target, but. They're, they're, In my opinion, they're, they're not going to get him now. I think he has some family who, who would like to see him at Miami, and he certainly likes Miami a lot. So I, I, at this point, if I had to project him anywhere, I would probably say Miami, but I'm not confident enough to say it's a lock yet. Isaiah uh, Walker is a, a player who I think is the best offensive tackle in the state, by the way. Really impressive looking kid in a Miami-Norland he has some connections to Florida State. He's a South Carolina commit right now, but I'm not I'm not uh, convinced that that will hold. I know he's been on, on campus a couple times, has plans to make it back to campus. He's kind of a, a – if they land an the elite-level kid, that's the kid right there. Uh, they recently offered Connor McLaughlin. Uh, he was rated really high, I think by 247, uh, which kind of puzzled me because I'd never seen the kid at any kind of event. And then re- I think they had him like in the top 150 in the country or something. And not a lot of people knew anything about this kid, but they recently dropped him down to number 349 in the nation. So kind of a, a borderline three slash four star. I, I'm not going to render a judgment on the kid because I've not seen him in person. He's out of, out of Tampa Jesuit. That's a school that I'll get over to. They're in on, on JV and Cohen. He's a kid out of Phoenix Central. Uh, this is a, a kid who I, I told you was, was committed to South Carolina. And was like real adamant that he was not going to decommit or anything else, right, for South Carolina. And he was also remember that conversation, like how he, he was almost offended, basically that like uh, people would would ask him about like other schools when he was committed to South Carolina. Well, that commitment to South Carolina lasted uh, <laughs> like two months, maybe. And uh, he's from Alabama. I would project him at this point to Auburn. So unlikely to get him. They do have Zan Herring, who I think can be a good player for them. Thomas Schrader's a kid out of Venice. Does have some legitimate upside. I want I would like to see an arm an arm length measurement on on Schrader. To me, physically, he looks more like a guard, but maybe he could play tackle in in, in this scheme. I know they do like him. There's another kid that they got on. His name is Josh Jones. Uh, this is a kid I know. The staff actually found out about uh, from one of the one of the camps up there and uh florida state offered him uh march 27th i like this kid actually he has not played a lot of football he's pretty raw but he's a dude who i i don't like these guys just from my my research that are real real big in high school it seems like they have limited future upside now they might offer a significant floor if you think about it because we know that they already have that college ready size however they might not have that ability to untap additional ability by putting on good weight etc but he's only like 300 pounds uh, at 6'5 which is not too heavy in my opinion um yeah 299 at the opening regional in march uh six foot five ran a shuttle of 481 which is a, a a pretty good shuttle time for an offensive lineman I, I think this kid is pretty underrated i just based on dudes that i've seen at Right now, he is the number ninety-seven offensive tackle in the nation. I, I have a hard time believing that personally. <laughs> uh, and there's also so Schrader's the forty-fifth offensive tackle in the nation. I, I have a hard time thinking that these guys are actually that far apart. Then there's two more dudes who, who they've offered recently. The first is Gerald Mency. They actually made his his top uh, top five. Gerald is a little bit heavy at three twenty-four. But he moved pretty well. I also like that uh, that Gerald is um, actually below grade level as far as uh, age. So it does suggest that he has some more time to uh, physically mature to get it. And granted, I mean we're talking about physically mature here for a kid who's six foot five, three twenty four. So okay, uh, but perhaps uh, get some of the bad weight off. Continue to to grow and, and, and mature. I think he's a kid who's going to be better. He's also going to get better coaching. I forgot where he was before, but the new school that he's at, he will probably get some better coaching at uh, than where he was prior. At least that's that's what I remember from when he was telling me where he was going. And then Kobe Baines is a guy who I've kind of thought of as more of a guard, but maybe could play some tackle. He's actually out of Jacksonville Sandalwood. This is a kid who is teammates with uh, with Jeff Sims. So they're not lacking for names. They're just lacking for... The uh, the obvious elite names, which again they are unlikely to get any of those, those real elite tackles, but it's possible they could get
0: Isaiah Walker. Roger, ask seems seems as if the oh, uh, we skipped over Deontay. Or Deontay, that's actually where I was going, and uh, what I was saying is there seems to be a uh, <laughs> seems to be a prominent area of, uh, of focus right now with our, our line of questions uh, that pointed in the direction of the. The offensive line predominantly with a a little bit of the defensive line uh, sprinkled in as well. Deontay asked, who do you all predict will be on the starting O-line this year, and how much progress do you think is reasonable to make in that department? I can't do this, man, Uh, and I'm not trying to play difficult Deontay. I appreciate the question, but uh, my offensive line is probably going to involve two guys that are named Minshew and Dickerson, and uh, I'm not trying to take uh, shots at the kids, but... uh, you measure their their health in quarters uh, since the time they've been on campus, meaning that they're able to give you, you know, maybe a game and a half uh, before an injury concern comes up. And uh, I hope, certainly hope that everything comes together for those two and that they're able to have a successful uh, year of abstaining from injury and being able to play and show the the talent that uh, I, I think, or at least the physical uh, gifts that those two guys have, but projecting an offensive, lineman, or offensive line starting lineup is, is almost futile in my opinion because you're doing so with, uh, with two guys who historically have been able to give you a game, game and a half at a time, and then you're looking at them being out for maybe half a year or three-quarters of a year. Uh, so I, when people ask me this, I, I have a real hard time giving them anything that's, uh, that's based out of fact, logic, or, or real expectation. Yeah, I, I guess if you just do opening day lineup, you could potentially. Yeah, you can do it. You can figure out you got, you know, a tackle. Juco you can do it and put in Minshew and uh, Dickerson, and we have a decent idea as to who your center is going to be. And Yeah, it's there.
1: I, I I think your ideal lineup is probably Ryan Roberts, the NIU kid. You know, if he could be a below average player, I think they would do backflips. I mean, that's kind of where they are in position right now. There's just so many dudes who can't play. Dante Lucas recently posted a picture that he's down to 317 pounds. I would like to see him start over Mike Arnold. Mike Arnold is just not physical and really inconsistent. Uh, Play-to-play for one of the guard spots. That would allow Dickerson to play the other tackle spot, which means you do not have to play Juwan Williams. I'm not falling for the Juwan Williams stuff again. I like the kid personally, but... uh, uh, he was fine in their scrimmages last year, and then when the lights came on, just absolute meltdowns mentally. Is there stuff to fall for? Uh, I mean, is there a – Well, I mean, there's, there, were, there was hype coming out last year, and I know that he was actually okay in their scrimmages. And, I mean, that that's like the one time in spring where you're going full contact live and he was okay. And uh, I think it, surprised, it certainly surprised me. It also surprised them that he was that bad uh, when, when the lights came on. I, I do know that. Uh I think Cole Minshew, like we said, is one of the guards, so to kind of knock that out. I,
0: I, I think, I think Lucas will beat out Arnold. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's what you have to hope for. I'm certainly, a kid with a, uh, incomparable ceilings between the two. Uh, I'll put it that way. Here's a question for
1: you: Do you think? Lucas will start more games than Arnold if they both stay healthy.
0: I think you have to hope so. Uh, I think that would be probably a good step in the right direction uh, as far as getting the uh, the more talented player as as ready as possible for future contribution. But, uh, you know, you're, you're also... Lucas is physically gifted and appears to have a good mentality to contribute, but we're also sitting here talking about a, a true freshman kid who, granted, played at IMG and has a little bit of a le- higher level of experience, but seems as though we're kind of reaching for things to, uh, to eggs to put into our basket here as to where to have f- success or where to have potential optimism.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, the, only, the only reason I think Lucas wouldn't start in the opening game is if you, if you can't trust him un- under the lights, right? Like, if he... Assignment wise, adjustment wise, if he just doesn't get it yet, physically, I think he's already better than Mike Arnold uh, has been or ever will be. Roger asks, uh, why does it seem that Willie gets all the blame for it, but she struggles when Jimbo had the same year in seventeen? I was aggravated with last year, but Jimbo created this mess. Thanks.
0: Well, I think, yeah, using terms like "all" is is uh, is tricky in general because it's not necessarily the case, and maybe you're extrapolating from a a message board experience you had or something you saw on social. I mean, the the current head coach is certainly going to be the one who draws uh, the, the fan base's ire, particularly the longer that he's in that position. And I think the real reason why uh, the benefit of the doubt started to be yanked away from parts of the fan base is that there was just no – noticeable progression uh last year and in fact at the end you you kind of slip back into some of your worst and and most uh destructive habits uh, self-destructive habits so I think there's plenty of blame to go around and uh I I do think that there's a large portion of this fan base that is very well educated and aware as to the difficult situation that Willie inherited and some of the uh, shortfalls and shortcomings of Jimbo Fisher but uh the longer that Willie Taggart's the head coach, the the less and less that people are going to really want to have that conversation.
1: Yeah. And look, there's, there's certainly a possibility that what Jimbo left him will, will, will do him his tenure, but he also has an opportunity to climb out of it. I think we've been pretty fair in, in being consistent that a lot of the stuff was not Willie's fault. Some of it was some of the messaging last off season for him turned out to kind of bite him in the butt. And uh, I bet you he, he would do it over again if he could, but I don't know. I think we've tried to be fair. Some of the stuff's not his fault. A good bit of this stuff actually is not his fault. Uh, if you go listen to the episode we did a couple of weeks ago with the, the roster breakdown, you'll kind of see what he was left with. Also, when I say the offensive line is a legitimate four-year rebuild project, that's a pretty good indication that that's not his <laughs> fault,
0: right? Yeah, I would say that's indicative of uh, of something that's uh, a greater inherited problem than anything he could fix immediately uh Marcus, in, in one of our final questions here, Marcus writes, I was wondering if Florida State's still in the market for a graduate transfer offensive line, or maybe two. If not offensive line, uh, maybe on the defensive line, specifically defensive end. Well, oh, Interesting to note that uh, I've heard from people that Chaz Neal is close to being ready to start. Uh, I have not heard that, Marcus, but I'll be interested in your opinion, bud. Uh, what is your opinion on this and the offensive line in general?
1: Okay, so uh, I don't think they're in the market. They would love to be in the market for another grad transfer offensive lineman or two. Uh, I don't think there's anybody out there that they know of that who could actually uh, help them right now. A lot of these guys are transfers for a reason, right? And typically, you don't. You're, typically, the transfers you get are not that good. If you get a kid who's a former five star to transfer, the chances are he's going to play a lot lower than a five star. Right. If he was actually playing like a five-star, he wouldn't be transferring. He'd be starting at, at, at the school that he was at. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that they're in position to get anybody else right now in terms of the transfer market. If that changes, we'll certainly let you know. I think we've been pretty on top of that at, at, for the most part. Uh, he's heard that Chaz Neal's ready to be close to being ready to start. I, I've not heard that. I cannot rule out Chaz Neal starting simply because of the level of player that he's going against on this team, right? I mean, think about this. Like, who can you say is just absolutely worlds better than Chaz Neal right now? Nobody. And I don't think Chaz Neal's good or anything, but the bar to start is so low. Like, if you can be a bad football player but not a terrible football player and there is a difference, then you're going to have a chance to start on this offensive line. Uh, What is your opinion on this offensive line? I I mean, I've I've given it for the last uh, (laughs) –
0: Yeah, we just, just labeled this I, the uh, the opinion on the offensive line podcast and, uh, and put I that guess, right out yeah. there.
1: John says, this may be a repeat topic, but with the chatter about the NCAA considering compensation, how would this affect FSU football? I saw a headline that Dabo is not a fan of his idea. And I wonder, I wonder if that's because it would change the recruiting system, both above board and not that he is currently thriving in. All the best. Also looking forward to any news on a live feed podcast during game. I would happily pay for that. Uh, we will have news on that. How would the compensation affected well it would affect a lot of schools because their coaches would not be paid the same amount um it is probably not a real positive for Ford state because some schools would be able to pay the players above board and pay the coaches not the same amount i mean let's not kid ourselves davo wouldn't make 9.3 million if the players were getting paid i think the reason davo hates the idea uh and it, i'm kind of surprised he's so vocal about this but he kind of has so much political capital right now. Unless he comes out and says something really egregious, he, he can pretty much get away with saying whatever he wants, right? You know, Jimbo was doing that for a while. Uh, he actually used, um, he said the the, uh, the R word, right? Which you're not supposed to say anymore. Uh, during a press conference, like after, after he got things rolling and winning, and it really wasn't, a, it didn't turn into a thing. But so on this, I think because Dabo does such a good job as kind of fostering that like collegiate atmosphere, you know, and making sure kids have fun and and all that, all that whatnot. And then really kind of the small town. If it goes real corporate, I think he realizes he would lose some of that edge. He's also a former walk on in Alabama. So for him, getting a scholarship was a really big deal when he finally got it there's the story about how he lived with his mom and in like a one bedroom apartment and whatnot, or or was she living in his dorm or or whatever it is. But like he he and his mom were living together while he was in college and he was seeing her struggle and and all that stuff. But for the elite kids, the kids at Clemson recruits getting a scholarship is not a big deal because these kids have actual marketable value that is depressed artificially because of the market system in which we are in, where the NFL has has basically a de facto monopoly. And uh, college serves as the the free minor leagues for the NFL, thus uh, suppressing the value of these players. I actually saw something cool the other day, by the way. This is a little bit of a tangent. Did you see the Braves draft pick who ended up deciding to go go play in Japan? He'll make a little bit less money initially, but it will give him a chance to enter the uh, Major League Baseball free agent market uh, potentially much earlier than a normal player player. Uh, would because he doesn't have to do all like the the arbitration time stuff, and uh, the the years of control that Major League Baseball teams have over their players. Hmm. No, I didn't see that. That's uh, that's fascinating. Very interesting. So he'll be coming in as like an international free agent once he leaves Japan.
0: Yeah, man. I, I think that's very interesting. I I do think that um, the thing that would force college football to uh, to deal with this situation in a more aggressive manner is if uh, one of these alternate pro leagues ever really found their footing uh so like if the xfl uh ultimately sticks this time around and if you're having kids that are uh either freshmen in college or kids that are straight out of high school getting um you know legitimate opportunities to go make money for the sport and unique trade that they have and that's that's a curious one uh certainly a a company that has some some issues with uh, with working with labor, and I'm not sure that I would necessarily want a 18 year old kid signing a contract with uh, with Vince McMahon. But uh, that's just the the way that that situation would play itself out. And I do think it would force the NFL's hand, and particularly uh, put some pressure on the the college model uh, to deal with it in a manner that otherwise has never really been there before. I agree with you on that. And look, there
1: there are some kids who you encounter and you interview them and you you kind of think to yourself like, man, it, the the public education system has failed you so badly. uh, And, and likely your, your parents as well, you know, from, from ages five to 18, that like you're so far behind. I I don't know if college is, even if you can get in, like, are you actually going to be able to take advantage of it? Right. In, in most other sports across the world,
0: tennis, golf, hockey you know baseball even the NBA of soccer I mean these kids are in yeah are in, are in academies you, you, when they're 11 year olds uh, in soccer so yeah right it, 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 exactly right so uh,
1: it, it it does kind of stink that the the one sport that you have the absolute shortest career span in which is football. You have to have the longest sort of unpaid internship mm-hmm. of amateurism and the most dangerous yeah, of forced
0: one. amateurism. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there are kids that I'm sure if the NFL could and if it didn't have college, they would
0: absolutely take straight out of high school. Well, yeah. Well, so let's look at the Ross kid at Clemson right now. Uh, you're telling me that kid wouldn't be better off getting $350,000 a year or something like that from the XFL right now? Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, there's just an interesting window and ensure kids get taken care of in college and there's some perks and off the, you know, money that's not on the uh, the official balance sheet. I'll put it that way. Uh, but you're not going to be doing better than uh, I'm, I'm just trying to throw out a hypothetical number there that's reflective of not necessarily an NFL salary, but light years ahead of where a college kid would, uh, would ever be able to find himself with, with, uh, as many of the benefits that may be out there, uh, even with that, uh, it's just an interesting situation. And I think, uh, uh, a situation that a second league would be able to exploit and, and put pressure on a system that otherwise has never really forced, uh, been forced to, to deal with any kind of real true alternate route. I, I, I completely agree on that. Um, the only thing, with maybe the
1: counter to the XFL is, well, there's a lot of counters, actually. But the one is, is are they actually focused on development, or are they just trying to win now? Because he's probably going to get better development at Clemson than he was in the XFL. Like, with, with Ross, I could just throw him jump balls nonstop, and
0: that'd be fine. You, you think kids, and I'm not trying to be a smartass here, but you think many kids would choose the development path over getting paid $400,000 a year? And, there, and there's only not. that many kids that would get paid that amount, but... Uh, I just think there's a there's a, a sales pitch there that would be tough to tough to factor in some of those ancillary benefits that may not be as a, as immediate immediately displayed. The the one position I, I would definitely definitely say is
1: the XFL should just spend wildly on is running back. We know that that a lot of these running backs are the best they will ever be at eighteen nineteen years old. That it, it's just the the, the quick fist muscle fibers the the joints and the explosiveness—it's just—it's—it's it's there. Like, why not go offer the kid out of, out of Katy, Texas, a mill a year? I mean, you would get so much free publicity out of this, right? Imagine if if they go and sign a five-star—you know—best back since Adrian Peterson goes and signs with—I don't know—the the, the Dallas XFL team or or the Houston XFL team. He's taking hits for free in college. He's not going to get much better. As a running back in college, there's not that much coaching that goes into this. Either you have the speed and the open field moves and the ability, or you don't. Even if he could 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 make three mil, you know, pre-tax over over three years in the XFL before his contract's up and the NFL wants him, I mean, man, that would that would uh that would really fix some things. Um, for, for for running backs who particularly get get kind of screwed by the current system, probably more than anybody else, position-wise, by. By a lot, I think. Um, so that's just that's something to think about there. It would also maybe maybe the NFL should should think about changing it, its its model. And I don't think they need like a full blown minor leagues. But what if the NFL could increase their their roster size a little bit to where maybe they can hold five. Uh, you know minor league type players on on the roster that can be on their practice squad and protected and be under contracts. So you don't have to necessarily play them in games. Yeah. you could have like uh, a provisional they, roster or something like an ex, ex, expanded provisional roster. You can focus on their development, you know, and then I would totally not totally okay, but I think there's a more fair system would be if college went to the college baseball system. We're gonna let the NFL take a look at you, take a shot at you right out of high school. If you don't like where you get drafted in their in their high school draft, then you, then you go to then you go to college. But you have to stay in college three years. You're not eligible for the NFL draft again after that. It works pretty well for college baseball. The absolute best prospects never see a college baseball field, and that's probably how that should go, if we're being honest here. But college baseball is still a fun, entertaining product for a lot of people out there. And I think I don't think college football would suffer that much from that especially if, if the size of the NFL rosters were, were relatively uh, reasonable. Hey, I just want to remind you that if you like the show, and obviously if you're listening to it, you probably do, uh, we'd appreciate a five-star review. If you've not reviewed us in a while, which is possible because we've been around for so long, uh, you can actually go back on iTunes or, or whatever app you use and submit a, another review. Uh, iTunes likes when they're fresh, helps keep us at the top of the charts. We actually have 2,828 five-star reviews, which I I think is more than like all of the other team sports podcasts combined out there. And i uh, very proud of that to be the number one Florida State show by a lot, and that's because of you, the listener. And uh, it's a largely listener-driven show, right? We, we try to, to give you all good answers to the questions you have and, and bring you the insider information that you crave and, and the good analysis and, and to keep it grounded. So five stars, if you like us and uh, – Grab your husband's phone. Grab your wife's phone. Grab grab your son or daughter's phone, and, and give us those five stars on there too. Like, like, and subscribe. Appreciate it, guys.